me tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to the afternoon so that's my story, and as I say every week, I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness, but if you do, I would still say, that's my story, and that's how I share it, and that's the story that brought me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, Episode 5. Today's hug, I stubbed my toe and hated the world, the Superwoman Syndrome. So the other day, for some reason, a memory popped up in my mind. And you may already know that when Tim and I married, my husband Tim, when we married in 2003, we blended eight children together. They're all grown up now. And six of them lived with us full time. So the memory is one evening, I'm assuming I was sitting on the sofa, I don't know, and I got up to feed the dogs and I stubbed my toe on the chair. First of all, it was that type of pain that like slowly grows and it fills every cell of your being you know what I mean? It just goes up and up and up. It's like you're climbing Mount Everest. And by the time I got to the top, it was like I was being sucked into this emotional black hole vortex that was otherworldly. I hated everything and everyone. Okay, the person who made the table, the the lumberjack who cut the wood, that the table was made of. Um, yes, if you're a friend of mine listening on that particular day, I probably hated you too. A third grade teacher, clerk at Walmart, hated. Random person walking down the street, hated. You probably get what I'm saying. Surely you know what I mean. Something happens and you have this response that's way out of proportion to what happened. And when that happens, it probably means there's something more going on. Like, what is the real situation here? And the real situation was this, and I'm assuming if you're a woman listening today, you can identify with this. The real situation was, I'm the only one who ever feeds the dogs, or the cats, or cleans up, or does the laundry. I'm teaching, working all day, I come home and work all night, and no one cares, and no one helps. I am superwoman, and no one appreciates it. You get it? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, because this is not just for the women. This is about to get great, so buckle up and let's go. Why do we fall into this superwoman trap? And why do men sort of not appear to care? Well, it goes back, we have to do a little bit of background here. It goes back to researchers back in the early 1900s that built these theories of development and the way they did it was to research men. And so they looked at the way men grew and developed into uh, adult humans. And the theories were then built around these concepts of becoming an individual, becoming independent, separating from the parent, taking care of oneself. You all might remember researchers like Freud and Erickson. And Erickson is the one who developed the theory of stages and talked about a toddler is throwing that tan tantrum and saying, no, 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 or I can do it myself or let me do it because they're trying to separate and become independent. So this is what the theories were developed upon. Women weren't studied. 
So early researchers looked at women and said, well, women don't really have this, this breakout and be independent and be forceful. They don't really do that. So either one theory said, well, then they're just psycholo- psychologically, sorry, hard word, abnormal versions of men. Other theories said, well, we as women don't find our identities until we get married, that we are dependent, that we are weak. Now, before I go forward, let me say this is not... This is not a let's bash men and women are stomped down kind of thing. It's not that at all. But look, we, we got to go back and look at the research and see what these theories were built upon so that we can move forward. So finally, in the early mid-1900s, female researchers began to study women. And I have so much to say about that, but that will be for another day. There's a woman I love who in 1976 wrote a groundbreaking book called Towards a New Psychology of Women. Her name is Jean, well, was Jean Baker Miller. If you've seen me speak about anything identity or women related, you have heard me talk about her. So Miller says this. She says that all development, even in men, occurs within the context of relationships. But all of those early theories rested upon separation. So the important thing in life was to become independent and separate. So that becomes the norm. So those people demonstrating those behaviors were valued by society because that's the norm, right? So men were valued for the individualism and the the aggression. And, And that's fine. The problem for women is that we then were devalued because we didn't seem to exhibit those behaviors. So let me come back to Miller. Miller received her medical degree from Columbia University back in 1952, and then she was certified in psychoanalysis in 1959. And she she noticed events that were happening with women, the choices that women had to make. For example, she was forced to resign from her residency when the administration found out that she was pregnant. And then during her time as a stay-at-home mom, she just felt devalued. She felt like the importance of mothering was devalued. And so she, she talks about it like this. She says, okay, women have been assigned like the carriers of specific human traits like vulnerability and dependence and emotionality. And these human traits are seen as weak and undesirable, but they are the very traits that are important and participating and helping develop people. Men on the flip side, okay, so men, if you're listening, you probably know this. You have been encouraged to run away from those attributes, right? You just like don't want any part of them. And so you don't have the practice with them. And the sad part is we should all participate in the development of others, not just women. We should find value as a culture in traits that encourage empathy for one another. So she wrote her book to make one colossal point. And this sentence is is so simple, but so powerful. In order to, to survive as a society, people must serve the needs of one another. The problem in our society is that this service is not valued. Women are probably better suited to recognizing and responding to the needs of others. We aren't really going to talk about biology in this session, but... I do believe that we are genetically programmed in certain ways to allow us to better respond. Um, 
so, and for women, in fact, Miller proposes that we thrive in the context of recognizing and responding to the needs of others, unless we feel forced to. And that's kind of what happened in that opening scenario, right? I felt like I was doing everything because it was expected of me and no one was helping. And when that happens, the individual needs of that woman, like me at the time, the mother, the wife, the worker at work, then we feel like our needs are unmet. Because we need the opportunity to grow and develop ourselves, right? We desire the thrill of learning something new and taking risks. But oftentimes the opportunity to integrate serving other people with my own personal growth are limited. So I'm, I'm left with this internal conflict of either serving others, family, boss, co-workers, or serving me. If I choose to serve me, then I'm left with power, but I feel empty. If I choose to serve others, then I might be prone to what happened with the stubbing toe, frustration, anger, maybe even depression. And so after publishing her book in 1976, Miller was invited to join this group of women to discuss and actually create a new model of women's development, and it's called the Relational Cultural Theory. And so it stresses a relationship pathway for women as opposed to the traditional male theory stressing separation. And it's really based on the belief that growth-fostering relationships are necessary for all human development. And for women in particular, the main way that we experience our sense of self is relational, is through relationships with people. It doesn't mean we're dependent. It doesn't mean we're weak. It doesn't mean we have to have a man or we have to be in a relationship or we can't be alone. It just means that our, our experience of self and growth happens through growth-fostering relationships. She goes on to talk about, and I'm, I'm only going to mention these. I, I really do hope. I'll put the, the book information in the show notes. But she talks about five good things that come from healthy connections. Number one is clarity. Okay, we're able to really see our vision better, have clarity on issues in our life. Number two, action. We do things when we're in these healthy relationships. We move, we, we get things done. Number three, a sense of worth. I feel like um, I have a, a sense of, of worth in this world through these relationships. Number four, zest. Do you know what I mean? A zest for life, a zeal for getting things done. And then finally, a desire for more connection. I want to grow more. Disconnection, she says, produces the opposite of all of those things. So what do we do with this? You know, oftentimes women will take classes to find out how to speak up, how to ask for help, and they get charged up, right? They go to this class or they read this book and they get charged up, but oftentimes they don't take action. And I think one of the reasons is, is that the the underlying premise of much of this training is based on dated models of human development and the culture. It's, it's reflected in how we teach women to be assertive. For example, if you were looking at um, some examples of ways to speak up in a conversation, um, I looked this up and I wanted it to be generic, not for any particular training, book, or class, but I just wrote down a few bullets. Um, Don't give people permission to treat you a certain way. Don't apologize if it's not your fault. Don't verbally agree when you don't. Don't seek validation. Don't give vague answers. Don't use doubtful phrases like, I'm not sure. It's just this litany of don'ts. 
and it can leave women feeling scolded and less than and inferior. And the advice is given because women often exhibit these behaviors and find themselves like left behind at work or feeling like a doormat at home. So that's why don't verbally agree when you don't and don't give people permission to treat you poorly and all that. So it makes sense that that these are things that we would want. But the solution should be built on a foundation of trust and connection. And without under without addressing some underlying beliefs and things, then long-lasting results are, are unlikely to happen. So I have three things if you are struggling with the superwoman syndrome. I can do it all. No one cares. And these are these are so good. I hope you will latch onto these and make them part of your life every day. And men, if you're listening, I am absolutely addressing women here but you need to listen because you have women in your world and this can and I'm going to make some points to you as we go along so stay with me number one is to assess and modify your underlying belief system most counseling will say that it's important to change your belief about the need to be liked and have approval by others so I am opening right now Judith Baker Miller's book and she has a section in here called Departure of a Superwife. I'm going to read just a little bit from it because it absolutely goes to the core of what I mean by assess and modify your underlying belief system. She says, Some women come to believe that others will love them and become permanently devoted to them because they are serving these others so much and so well. The tragedy here is that people don't usually love others for this reason. They may become dependent on their services, but that is different from real interest in love. In fact, if men and children become too dependent, they can come to feel trapped by their dependency and come to hate the person who is taking care of them so well. This is one reason some men walk out on their superwives and some children turn strongly against their supermothers. Wow. Let me read one part to you again. It says, let me flip back here this sentence some women come to believe that others will love them and become permanently devoted to them because they are serving these others so much and so well do you see a belief system there Mm, this is so big the belief system here is that if I always feed the dogs, if I always feed the cats, if I always clean, if I always do the laundry, if I work all day and come home and I'm the only one who does this, you should love me. And that's really not the way it works. So I want you to really assess your underlying belief system about you and how you function, whether it's at work, same thing at work, whether it's work or at home. That's number one. Number two, Assess and modify your thoughts. Self-defeating thoughts are the most destructive barrier for women who want to make change in their lives. And they're most common during times of conflict. So Miller again points out the images that we see of conflict and says they're almost always in the extreme forms. This is what we're taught conflict is. It's dangerous. It's fighting. It's losing a relationship. It's someone getting hurt. And in reality, I love that she says this. This image is actually the end result of spending too much time avoiding conflict. So usually when we think of that argument, that relationship ending, the yelling, 
it's because it's built up for a long, long time. So in other words, conflict is usually presented as, as negative when in reality, it's the avoidance of conflict that is destructive. So there's here's a conflict-based scenario that, again, just looked it up, no place in particular, but here's a conflict-based work scenario. You're in a meeting, you speak up to offer a solution to a problem that was brought up, and a coworker cuts you off before you can finish. Now think about that. In your mind, you feel like this sudden uh, release of adrenaline, your heart beats, you're upset. So what I said here too is assess and modify your thoughts. You've heard me talk about this before. Because we're thinking of potential conflict as destructive, then maybe some modifying of thought patterns, maybe some thoughts like this could help you identify and address whatever the negative thought pattern is. Maybe instead of just thinking, she's trying to undermine me, nobody ever listens to me, um, is it because I'm weak, I'm such a doormat? How about we change that to things like, well, I think she acted this way because. I didn't speak up because. If I did speak up, this might happen. Keeping silent protects me because. An example of a time I spoke up and was successful is blank. An example of a time I spoke up and failed is blank. So get in touch and modify those thoughts when you need. And finally, number three, add relationship into your goals. Again, I looked at some marketing material about women becoming assertive let me read some of them and you can probably figure out what the problem might be. So here are some goals of a workshop. To convey self-interest. To uphold your rights. You are responsible for solving your problems, but not other people's problems. Ask yourself what you want before considering other people's feelings or rights. Take control is your goal. Say no is the first word. Hmm. So much of what women are asked to do in some of these trainings is to just step back and disconnect from the relationship. Well, I understand all of those things and I understand the goal is to be able to get help and to not be a doormat. But the problem is they make you choose between self and others. And if you go back to looking at your underlying beliefs, to look at the thoughts that you're having, that's not always going to work. And going back earlier, I think I said, even women sometimes think the male dominant type behaviors are preferable because that's what the world values. We value uh, aggressiveness and dominance and power and independence more than we do emotion, emotionality and connectedness and vulnerability. But those things are what help connect people. So we want to be able to speak up, but we, we thrive in the context of powerful relationships. So we do want to try to preserve the relationship. So just a couple of ways for you, if you are reading information about how to speak up, how to get help, how to get out of the superwoman syndrome. If you're reading the goals, what I want you to do is just on your own, in your own mind, Add relationship. For example, um, the one that I said earlier, uh, you're responsible for solving your own people's problems, not others. Well, you could change that to, hmm, 
Other people will grow more when they become better problem solvers. So that's still a goal of you not solving other people's problems, but it minimizes hurt to the relationship. How about say no is the first word, or you may have heard no is a complete sentence. Change that in your mind to, okay, I need X, Y, Z. So I will use no in a way that minimizes harm to the other person. I want to end on this little note about the word passive. Okay, and then I'll recap and and close. It breaks my heart when I hear women describe themselves as being passive. And they describe themselves as passive in a very negative way. But then they define the behavior that they say makes them passive. They care too much about people. They cry. They don't speak up. They say yes too much. They try to keep peace between other people. They fail to recognize the positive sides to those behaviors. Look, I don't want want women to get stepped on. I don't want women to feel used. I don't want women to fall into the superwoman trap where they believe that people will love them because of all that they do. But there are positive aspects to these parts of women. The caring part, the sensitive part, the connecting part, the part that helps develop other humans. And men listening, those are parts of yourself that should be developed. We all grow in the context of mutually empowering relationships. And also notice the behaviors with the women in your life. Are there things that you will step in and now notice about them? Have conversations that are empowering. What can you do to connect the people in your world? And that's our show for today. So today, we talked a little bit about the stub in the toe and hating everything in your world. And then I went back and we talked about what gets us trapped in this superwoman trap. Why are men seen as less than caring? It goes back to those early theories of development where we now have traits valued in society like independence and assertiveness and speaking up and separating. But we don't value traits like emotionality and connectiveness and compassion, which we should because we all develop in the context of empowering relationships. And then I gave you three tips to get into those empowering relationships, to not get trapped in the superwoman syndrome. Number one was to assess and modify your underlying belief system. Number two, assess and modify your thoughts. And number three, add relationship into your goals. I hope that you have learned something today. You can find the show notes and get information if you'd like me to speak at your next event at TammyWest.com. The monthly $50 Amazon card giveaway uh, for leaving a review on iTunes. Soon we'll be moving to my blog. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal. I hope that you will renew your thoughts daily. Adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others and make positive mental and emotional choices on a daily basis. And until next time, consider yourself hugged.